Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. We all know about the hidden dangers that Ouija boards pose. We know about the damage that they're capable of inflicting. But there is one part of the Ouija board and seance discussion that doesn't get touched on nearly enough. Although the majority of people use these powerful tools to mess around and maybe contact a demon or two, some people use them out of desperation. They are desperate to speak to their dearly departed just one more time. So desperate that they'll do anything, put their faith in anything, that would give them that opportunity. And that is the case for Wilhelmina Bess Houdini, the wife of Harry Houdini. Bess and Houdini married on June 22, 1894, and for over 30 years the couple enjoyed marital and professional bliss. Although Houdini himself was a magician and illusionist, he held a long-standing hatred for psychics, mediums, and those who claimed they could contact the dead via the use of a Ouija board or other paranormal tools. He was so adamant on the invalidity of psychics that he dedicated many years of his own life to debunking some of the most famous in the world. It is unclear as to whether or not Bess shared in her husband's distaste for the profession, but regardless of said mistrust, the couple made an interesting pact to one another. Houdini and Bess promised that whoever were to die first would contact the other with a secret code, a code to which only they knew the key to. Their love was so strong that if one of them were to try and reach into the veil of the supernatural to contact the other after death, they would have to respond. And they would not be satisfied with a simple I love you or I miss you. No, their code had to be uttered whether by Ouija board or psychic medium, in its entirety, verbatim. And the code? It read, Rosabelle, answer, tell, pray, answer, look, tell, answer, answer, tell. It's not exactly the world's greatest love letter, but its meaning was intimate knowledge between the pair. If either one of them were to hear it, they knew who they were speaking to. So when Houdini tragically died on October 31st, 1926, Bess began the work of contacting him. On the one-year anniversary of her husband's death, Bess conducted the first of many seances from her home in Inwood, Manhattan, in the hopes of speaking to her beloved. For ten years, these seances were held every Halloween, featuring world-renowned psychics, mediums, sensitives, Ouija boards, spirit bells, and more. But each seance came and went with the same results. Nothing. No messages, no signs, no indication that Harry Houdini was there, somewhere, eager to speak to his wife. Finally, after ten years of silence, Bess and her manager, Edward Saint, conducted the final Houdini seance, on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel in Hollywood, California. After that seance ended in failure once again, Bess extinguished the candle that she had used at every ritual, tucked away the photo of Harry she had always used, and gave up. It is reported that she said, At this point, ten years is long enough to wait for any man. 
but a part of Bess couldn't let the possibility of contacting Houdini go. Although she herself was done with the seances and Ouija boards and mediums, she passed the torch to her dear friend and Houdini's ghostwriter, Walter B. Gibson. He was to keep the tradition alive and report any findings back to Bess. And so he did, conducting seances every Halloween at the New York Magic Townhouse on 3rd Avenue in New York City. When Gibson died, the tradition passed to magician Dorothy Diedrich. Wilhelmina Beatrice Houdini died in 1943, never knowing if her beloved husband was still out there, or if he had heard her messages at all. And because tragedy tends to follow situations such as these, Bess's family refused to bury her alongside Houdini. She was raised Roman Catholic and Houdini Jewish, making it impossible for her family to allow their joint burial. They were buried 34 miles away from each other, Houdini at Machpela Cemetery in Queens, New York, and Bess at Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York. It seems cruel, knowing that Bess had spent the rest of her life since Houdini's passing trying to get one more glimpse of him, and for them to not allow her to be buried next to him. How many hours did she spend in a dark room, surrounded by strangers and devices that supposedly had the gift of paranormal sight, all for the sake of speaking to her husband one last time? How many doors into the other world did she unintentionally open? How many times did she open herself up to nefarious forces, all in the name of love? I can only hope now that, wherever they are, they are there together. In honor of such a love story, Scary Stories for the Soul presents I Love You. Can you hear me? Catherine had loved her husband Ronald very much. For 15 years, they basked in each other's love, warmth, and safety. Time and time again, they were told that the honeymoon phase would wane, that eventually they would start fighting, and maybe even becoming a little unkind to one another. But in all the years that they were married, no such thing happened. They loved each other wholeheartedly and chose each other every day for 15 years. And then, Ronald died. One day, he was alive, kissing her goodbye, talking about a work meeting that he didn't want to go to, and the next, he was dead, in the middle of a boardroom, a clicker in his hand, his cell phone vibrating with a good luck message from Catherine. Devastation took on a brand new meaning. Every day that Catherine woke up, every day that she was forced to open her eyes and interact with the world around her, was another day filled with pain and loss and heartache. People were understanding, of course. They were sympathetic and gentle and maybe even a little frazzled themselves. She would hear them whisper to each other about her bravery, her strength. I don't know how she does it they would say. He was so young. How tragic. How unexpected. But what nobody knew was that 
her feelings transcended that of just tragedy. She wanted to do more than just scream and cry and light the world on fire. She wanted to die. She wanted to stop living and breathing because what was the point of opening her eyes every morning if it meant that Ronald would not be there staring back at her? Mourning was more than a verb to her now. Mourning was the content state of her very being. Beatrice was a friend that Catherine had just recently made. There were no real expectations for how Beatrice should behave after Ronald's death. Catherine expected very little from a friend that had only become a friend a month or so after his death. But despite the short lifespan of their camaraderie, Beatrice was not only the shoulder that she cried on, but the friend that did all the things that she was too disconnected from the world to do. Grocery shopping, laundry, even work that she couldn't concentrate on long enough to finish. Name it, and Beatrice was there to help her with it, no questions asked. Which is why Catherine thought nothing of it when her new, helpful friend came over one night talking about having the solution to all of her problems. A burlap-wrapped rectangle was placed gingerly on the coffee table and then unwrapped more delicately. The Ouija board smelled of polished wood and campfire smoke. Okay, so before you say anything, Beatrice started, Do you think I can use this to talk to Ronald? Catherine asked, already reaching for the planchette. Yes, that is exactly why I brought it over. You won't believe the amount of people who told me that this was a bad idea. They all said I was giving you false hope. I had no hope of ever speaking to him again. How can you give me false hope if I never had any hope to begin with? The room grew quiet. Beatrice wrapped her friend in a quick, tight hug and smoothed out her hair. I do want to warn you, though. This might not work. Or just because it does work doesn't mean it will 100% be Ronald that you're speaking to. We'll have to be careful. We? Yes, girl, we. You didn't think I would let you do this alone, did you? Besides, the rules say you can't play alone. An embarrassed blush crept up Catherine's neck. I appreciate you doing this, Bess, but if I'm going to try and talk to Ronald, I want to do it alone. Not only because if it does work, I don't necessarily want anyone else being there, but because if it doesn't, I know I'll feel like an absolute idiot for trying it in the first place. Either way, having an audience present doesn't make me feel very comfortable. And I 100% get that. But I do have to warn you that this thing comes with rules. I know. I've seen all the movies too. But trust me, I'll be careful. I'll know if it's Ronald or not. And if it's not, I won't be sticking around to finish the conversation. Bess scrutinized her friend for a brief moment. Fine. But this is a family heirloom, so please be gentle with it. Noted. 
The friends exchanged their goodbyes, and Catherine was left alone with the one thing that she thought could make her life worth living again. Ouija boards weren't entirely new to her. Much like other girls who were trying to rebel from their boring Midwestern lives, she too had gone through a goth phase, leading her to dabble in mysticism, dark makeup, and Depeche Mode. But she wasn't a kid anymore. Hadn't been one in a long time. And something about using a Ouija board in her current state of mind reminded her of just how dangerous these things had always been. She turned off all the lights in her house, except for a single lamp, and sat down cross-legged on the floor before the Ouija board. Before starting, she looked around the dark room and thought back to a time when her house didn't feel vacant and alone. She barely grazed the planchette before it began to hum beneath her fingertips. The response was both alarming and reassuring. She no longer wondered whether or not this would work. She knew it would. Emboldened, she placed both hands on the planchette and moved it around the board. Hello, my name is Catherine McNeil, and I'm looking to speak to Ronald McNeil. Ronald Anthony McNeil. Can you hear me? The room remained quiet. There was no indication that anything had heard her. Ronald Anthony McNeil. Can you hear me? It's Catherine. She looked around the room for a moment, afraid to breathe too loudly lest she miss something. When nothing happened, she tried again, and again, and again. An hour passed with nothing. Catherine choked back tears. Ron, can you hear me, babe? I miss you so much. I just want to talk to you, please, please, please. Let me know if you can hear me. I am begging you. If you can hear me, give me, give me a sign. The hallway light flickered on and then off. Her eyes darted towards it. Before she could investigate, the light in her kitchen did the same thing. Then the small bulb on top of her stove. And then the reading light she kept on her side table. And then the emergency flashlight on her bookcase. For a few short, dazzling seconds, all of the lights in her house twinkled brightly. Then she was plunged into unwavering darkness with nothing but her lamp to illuminate the Ouija board in front of her. Catherine took a deep breath and hesitantly placed her fingers back on the planchette. Ron? She asked the board. The planchette moved swiftly towards the word, no. Fear prickled her skin. She knew this was a possibility, contacting someone or something else, but she hadn't quite prepared herself for what to do next. If you're not Ron, then who are you? Immediately, she regretted asking the question. Her television turned on, filling the room with a soft glow and hum of static. A friend, the board spelled out, 
Are you actually a friend? She asked, rapidly trying to keep both eyes on the television and the board. That's for you to decide, a voice from the television replied. Catherine jumped back, knocking over the Ouija board and nearly kneeing herself in the head. The television turned off, and the room was quiet once more. Who's there? She shouted, too afraid to leave her spot on the floor. But no one answered. No ghostly voice from the great beyond broke through the silence to respond. Catherine sat in frozen fear for a few more seconds before straightening herself out and repositioning the Ouija board back on the table. The moment that her fingers touched the planchette, the television turned back on. Who are you? Catherine asked. Someone who can help, the voice from the television said. Testing her theory, Catherine rapidly removed her fingers from the planchette, and again, the television turned off. She giggled to herself, more out of nervous hysteria than actual amusement, and returned to her original position. How can you help me? She asked. Ronald is with us. He moves with our kind. I can bring him to you. For a price. Every fiber of her being was screaming at her to stop. To let go. To go back to a world that existed without spectral voices asking her for favors. But that world existed without her husband. Without the possibility of her seeing him or hearing his voice. That world had been sympathetic towards her, had allowed her to wallow in grief and misery for however long she needed. But that world had also moved on. It had not stopped for her. That world had acknowledged the absence of a man who had been the sun, moon, and stars for Catherine, and then had continued turning. Catherine's world had stopped, but no one else's had. She could not return to a place like that. What do you want? The voice instructed her to contact a woman by the name of Heather Cantor and deliver a message. The Ouija board had spelled out an address and a phone number, and the message was to tell Heather that Ryan was watching her. Always watching her. He had never left her. Even in death, he was still with her, and he always would be. Fear, dulled by such a sentimental message, had Catherine agreeing in a second. Before she could ask any further questions, the television turned off, and try as she might for the rest of the night, the Ouija board stayed silent. How would this help her speak to Ron? She assumed that if whoever or whatever the voice was could still see this Heather person, then it could see her too. It would know if and when she accomplished her task. The following morning, she dialed Heather's number and waited anxiously for someone to pick up. How exactly was she supposed to prelude the message she was about to give, she didn't know. The line on the other end picked up before she had the chance to come up with anything. 
Hello? A female voice responded. Yes, hi. Is this Heather Cantor? Yeah, who's this? My name is Catherine. Um, you don't know me, but... Well, I don't really know how to say this. I have a message. I have a message for you. From... From Ryan. There was rapid breathing on the other line. Hello? I know this sounds... Is this a fucking prank? No. No, I swear. I, I'm not trying to mess with you. I, I don't know how to explain this to you, but I do have a message from Ryan for you. Ryan is dead. He died months ago. This is so messed up. Who are you? Who put you up to this? Listen, please. You don't know me, and, and I don't know you, but I need to tell you. Tell me what? Heather asked angrily. Catherine hesitated for a moment. Whoever Brian was to this woman, his death must have ruined her. But she plunged forward. He says that he's watching you. Always watching. That even in death, he would never leave you. He's always with you. Catherine heard Heather break out into violent, raking sobs. She heard the phone drop to the floor, racing footsteps. Someone asked what was wrong. Heather choked out a summation of their conversation, and then that same someone picked up the phone and shouted into the receiver. Who the fuck do you think you are? The person shouted. I'm sorry, Catherine stammered. I, I I, know that this must be very emotional for her. I, I never meant to. Heather finally escapes that monster. And this is what you do? Who are you? One of his side pieces? That man beat on her for years. And finally, he randomly dies. And you do this shit? She can't even escape that sadistic asshole in death? If you ever call here again, I'll call the police. You got that? And you can tell Ryan that wherever he is, I hope he's burning in hell. The line went dead. Catherine dropped her phone and rubbed her tightened chest. What had she just done? She hadn't known. How could she? She had been set up. She had been tricked. The lights were off, the blackout curtains were drawn, and the Ouija board was out in a matter of minutes. Catherine didn't even bother with the introductions. She circled the planchette around the board and hollered into the open air of her living room. Talk to me, goddammit! The television clicked on, and laughter emanated from the static white noise. You tricked me. I did not. I asked you to deliver a message. <laughs> and you did. Now, I will repay my debt. A soft, low voice emanated from the screen. Kathy? Catherine's breath caught in her throat. 
It was Ronald. She knew it was. He sounded exactly the way he used to when he woke up in the morning, all groggy and dewy-eyed and beautiful. Ron? Kathy, is that you? Where are you? I, I can't see you. <laughs> I'm here, babe, I'm here. Instinctively, she went to move to the television, but corrected herself. She couldn't, wouldn't break the connection. I love you, Ron. I love you so much. I love you too, Kathy, but where are you? I can't see you. I can't see where you are. Ron, I... The connection was cut off. The room was quiet again. Catherine was torn between running to the television and banging on the screen and staying glued to the Ouija board. Bring him back, she shouted. Bring him back, that wasn't enough time. Hot tears spilled from her eyes and landed on the Ouija board. They sizzled when they made contact with the varnished wood. A new voice, one much more childlike and high-pitched than the one before, echoed from the screen. If you wish to speak to Ronald again, you must do a favor for me. Catherine caught on quickly. A favor for Ronald. If she did what they said, they would let her speak to him. For whatever reason, he wasn't strong enough to do it on his own. This was the only way. So she quickly agreed. She was to make contact with another woman. The message was short. Only two words. Caroline remembers. Catherine was specifically instructed to do it in person, or she wouldn't be allowed to speak to Ronald. The address given was only 30 minutes from her home. Quickly, she dropped everything and went to perform her task. When she was at the stranger's doorstep, she mentally prepared herself for another Heather situation. She knocked on the door, asked for the woman, and when they were face to face, she quickly delivered the message. Caroline remembers, without introducing herself or giving any other explanation. Catherine watched as all the color drained from the woman's face. She asked Catherine to repeat herself, which she did, and the woman's eyes rolled to the back of her skull and she fainted. Rather than help or get involved, Catherine shouted for someone inside the house to dial 911. Her car fishtailed out of the driveway from the speed in which she fled the situation. She didn't want to know the history behind the message. All she wanted was to go home and speak to Ronald. The process quickly became routine for Catherine. The spirits would send her on a task, and when it was completed, they would let her speak to Ronald. The tasks varied in nature, as was the amount of time she was allowed to speak to her husband. Some days it could be hours, others nothing more than mere minutes. Catherine started to catch on to the fact that her beloved husband didn't know that he was dead. He would ask her odd questions or talk about events that had come and gone in his absence. It made her believe that he had no idea where he had been 
or what had happened to him the last few months. She struggled to introduce him to the idea that he was dead. And ultimately, she never did. What if he had questions? What if he got angry or confused or scared? She couldn't bear putting him through that. So, she simply didn't. They continued having conversations as if they were on a plane, on a long commute, on the phone. And every time that she spoke to him, she felt her heart repair itself just a little bit more. She was stitching herself back together and there was nothing that anyone could do or say that would make her even think about stopping. But slowly, the tasks that were being asked of her were becoming more intense, more exhausting. Every message, regardless of its nature, took its toll. The looks on those people's faces, the fear and sadness and anger, they were etched into her brain like a brand. Apart from the strangers she interacted with on behalf of the spirits, the only people she spoke to were the Ouija board and this version of Ronald, if people were what you could call them. Everyone in her life chalked it up to depression. She was still in mourning after all. Everyone was understanding and gracious to her plight and to her isolation. Everyone except for Bess. Bess knew what was actually going on. She knew what she had unknowingly done. She had brought the Ouija board to her, hadn't she? She had given her friend false hope to speak to her beloved once more. And now that Catherine was in isolation, now that Catherine was ignoring all of the people she loved, could it not be Bess's fault? She had to be the one to go to Catherine's house and pull her back into the world of the living. She arrived at Catherine's apartment fully prepared to see her slumped over the Ouija board, her eyes heavy with darkened bags, maybe some food containers and an empty wine bottle or two scattered around the floor. She knocked on the door, but no one answered. Also expected. But what she didn't expect was the sound of laughter resonating from inside of the home. It sounded cheerful, if not a bit hysterical, with a twinge of something unhinged behind it that made her worry for Catherine's safety and mental state. When she walked into the disheveled room, the air completely left her body. Catherine was crying into the receiver of her phone, clutching a tear-stained paper. White noise filled the television screen and the Ouija board sitting on the coffee table was scratched and charred. He, sa he says that you were a, a waste of carbon then and you're a waste of carbon now. He says that he can still see you crying in your room in the middle of the night and, and he thinks it's pathetic. The cruelty behind those words, mixed with the agony in Catherine's face, was more than Bess could endure. She moved to rip the phone away from her when the same hysterical laughter 
she heard outside boomed through the white noise. <laughs> Keep going, the childlike voice demanded. Catherine struggled with trembling fingers to unravel the paper in her hands. On instinct, Bess pulled the paper from her hands and sent the phone flying down the hall. No! The voice from the television shouted. No, no, no! Give it back! Catherine demanded. Give it back! It's been two weeks since they let me speak to him. You're not going to take this from me! Catherine lunged to retrieve her phone, but in her own hysteria, tripped and fell. Bess took the opportunity and overturned the coffee table housing the Ouija board. Picking up an empty glass jug of wine from the floor, she cocked her arm and sent it soaring into the television. It crashed loudly on the hardwood floor below. What have you done? Catherine shrieked. Bess dragged her out of the apartment leaving behind the faint smell of rotten eggs and smoke. What the hell is going on here? Her ragged friend looked up at her through red-rimmed and swollen eyes. She looked terrible. There was a madness in her that would have sent any sane person running. But Bess stayed and listened to the entire unbelievable story. It's him, Bess, she choked out. It's him. When I talk to him, it's like, it's like I can feel him around me. I can smell his cologne. I, I can feel his warmth around me. It's like he's there, alive and breathing and existing near me. I can't let that go. I had him back. I had him back even just for a few minutes a day. You can't take that from me. Bess rubbed Catherine's forearms and felt the bones under her cold skin. Kathy, if what you're saying is true, then he doesn't even know he's gone. He's here because he's confused and lingering. He's not at peace. Look at you. Think about how you're feeling. Now think about how he must be feeling. We don't know where he is when he's not talking to you. We don't know where he is when he is talking to you. He's out there in a world we don't know anything about. Being manipulated and used by beings that are capable of turning you into this. He needs to be set free. This needs to stop. I love him. And he loves you. I know that's why he's still here. But your love for him has to be greater than your need for him. Bess quickly ran into the house and gathered clothes, a toothbrush, and the Ouija board. She slammed the door behind her before anything had the chance to stop her. Where are we going? Catherine asked, panic dripping from her voice. We're going to end this. The living room in Bess's home was cleared of furniture, the lights were dimmed, and the Ouija board was placed between the two women sitting cross-legged on the carpeted floor. 
Bess flipped on the television and turned the channel to a dead station. White noise filled the screen. What am I supposed to say to him? Catherine whispered. The truth. Kathy, look at me. If you don't do this, this will keep ruining the both of you. The women placed their fingertips on the planchette, circled the board three times, and began. Ron? Catherine asked feebly. Ron, can you hear me? The images on the television began to shift and change. Faces formed in the static. Some angry, some crying, some speaking, although no words could be heard. They were pushing and fighting to get through. We are looking for Ronald McNeil. If you are not him, then you have no business being here, Bess demanded. The faces melted and formed and then disappeared altogether. The women waited and waited, but found nothing in the silence. On the verge of giving up, they began to move their hands off the planchette when a face began to form in the static. Catherine squinted her tired eyes at the television and immediately recognized the curve of the chin, the full lower lip. Ron? The planchette moved to the word, yes. Ron, are you alone? The planchette retreated slightly before landing back on yes. Then it spelled the word, tired. Ron, baby, I know there's something I have to tell you. Catherine stumbled through her words. You, you need to listen to me, okay? The planchette spelled, tired, and then, lost. Catherine cleared her throat and swallowed a sob. I know you are. I know you're lost because... Ron, you're lost because you're dead. You died three months ago. You had a heart attack at work and never woke back up again. Are you hearing me? Do you understand what I'm saying? The planchette didn't move. The face on the television screen remained frozen in the static. Then, Ronald looked up, looked deeply into his wife's face, and smiled. I know, the Ouija board spelled out. Shock marked Catherine's face. What do you mean? Ronald's mouth opened to speak, but the television turned off, plunging them into darkness. The Ouija board began to shake, as did the rest of the room. Cold, frigid air infiltrated the space and sent them huddling together for warmth. Laughter echoed around the room. Different voices, young and old, some laughing softly, others high-pitched and hysterical. The sounds surrounded them, burrowing into their brains. 
You have to tell them to leave, Bess shouted to Catherine. They're here because they think that you have no power. They have some sort of power over you, over him. You have to show them that they don't. Catherine stood on shaking knees and gathered herself tall. There were a million thoughts swimming through her head, but she forced herself to clear them all. You have no power over me now, she said sternly. The laughter immediately stopped. Electricity sizzled in the air. The fine hairs on her arm stood on end. You came here because you caught me in a moment of weakness. You took advantage of, of my pain and my grief and my love and my loss and you twisted me into something that I am not. But this ends now. You are banished from my mind and from my life. You have no power over me now. Bess anticipated laughter, violence. She held her breath and watched Catherine repeat her speech over and over, each time her voice growing louder and louder. Finally, when it seemed as though she had exhausted every ounce of breath in her body, Catherine crumpled to the floor. The room remained silent for a moment before an echoing voice responded. He will rot in this place with you. He will roast on the spit and cook in our fires. He will languish in agony, calling your name for help, begging for the death that has already come but did not save him from pain. Banish us now, and he will fall deeper and deeper into the pit of our misery. Do as we command, and he will continue to speak to his beloved. It spat out the word as if it were an insult. Images flooded into Catherine's mind of Ronald living in that agony. Bile rose up into her throat. Bess gently reached for her friend's hand. It's a lie, she said softly. You know it's a lie. Catherine nodded and kissed the golden wedding band that she still wore around her finger. You will do none of those things. You don't have the power to do any of those things. You are all damned souls with black hearts. You have no one who loves you, no one who mourns you, no one on this side to keep your memory alive. You used me to spread pain and infect the lives of those who were happy to be rid of you. But no more. You will not use me or Ronald anymore. You have no power over either one of us. Leave this space. Leave this home, my home and my mind. Leave. Go. Crawl back to whatever festering hole you came from and never return. The room shook violently. Bess felt as though they were trapped in the heart of an earthquake. Voices roared and cursed and laughed and fought. Pieces of plaster fell from the ceiling. Deep cracks traveled up the walls, 
splintering plaster and cracking windows. Furniture levitated off the floor and flew across the room, barely missing the women who were cowering together. Throw your tantrum, Catherine shouted, although she remained huddled to Bess. Do what you want. Cave the house down around us. The room gave one last violent tremble. For a split second, Bess believed that the floor would crack open and they would fall into the hell that those things promised existed. But then the shaking stopped. The dust cleared and the room went silent. The air no longer smelled of sulfur and fire. It smelled clean, like grass after a rainy day. Bess and Catherine stood up and breathed in the change in atmosphere. Catherine looked to the television. It had come alive again. In place of the static that had preoccupied her mind, even in her dreams, the crystal clear and perfect picture of Ronald looked on with a gentle smile. Catherine dropped to her knees and put her hands on the screen, stroking it as if she were touching his warm cheek. I visited you one night, Ron said. I stood beside you and watched you sleep. I tried to kiss your hair, but I realized I couldn't touch you. I couldn't feel you, and you couldn't feel me. I walked around the house, and so much had changed. I saw you then. Really saw you. The grief on your face. And I knew. I knew that you were mourning me. Catherine rested her forehead on the television and wished desperately to be in his arms. But you can't mourn me anymore. I, I want, no, I need you to live. If you're alive, it's like I'm alive too. And eventually, when we meet, wherever it is that I'm going, you are going to have so much to catch me up on. Did they hurt you? Catherine asked. Bess and Ron exchanged a quick glance. She knew the answer was yes, and also knew that if he told her friend the truth, she would never let him go. I don't feel pain now. I was confused before, lost in the void I was wandering in, but now everything is in clear focus. I'm not lost. I don't exactly know where I'm going, but I, I know I'm going somewhere, and I know it's going to be beautiful. I'm not ready, Catherine whispered. N no, but whoever is. I'm going to go now, but I'll be seeing you. I love you, Kathy said looking deeply into the eyes of her husband's already fading image. Oodles. A smile spread across Ron's face at the inside joke. Oodles and noodles, he replied. 
and then he was gone. Catherine and Bess cleaned up the wreckage of the home. Funny enough, as they looked around, much of the structural damage that they had witnessed, that they had sworn would send the ceiling and walls crumbling down around them, was gone. Completely cleared up, as if it had never happened. Then they went back to Catherine's house and did the same. The nest of sorrow that she had been living in was gone, leaving only one last thing to do. Together, the women coated the Ouija board with salt and gasoline and burned it until it was reduced to nothing but smoldering ash. Then they discreetly buried the ashes in a remote corner of the church grounds where Catherine and Ronald had gotten married. Just to be safe, they poured an entire water bottle's worth of holy water on the mound of earth and clumsily played over it. When they finally arrived back at Catherine's apartment, Bess apologized for giving her the Ouija board in the first place. You don't have to apologize, Catherine said. It was me. I was so desperate for a sign that I practically made myself a beacon for those things. The board was just a conduit. Well, conduit or not, none of this would have happened if it weren't for me. I was just so desperate for one more word, one more sigh, one more touch. If you hadn't come tonight, I would have kept going and going. I would have done anything they'd asked. Ron would have stopped you. Maybe, but it's the not knowing that's still scary. I didn't realize what I was capable of until I became that desperate. We all want a sign, Kathy, Bess reassured her. What would any of us do for a chance to talk to those who we've loved and died? Tune in to new episodes of Scary Stories for the Soul on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to follow Scary Stories for the Soul on Instagram and Twitter, and read the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you have any legends, myths, or ghost stories you want to see covered on the show, email your ideas to scarystoriesforthesoul2020 at gmail.com. This has been Isabel Cortez. Until next time.